this uh, week, I was thinking about uh, I was thinking about uh, a comic that I used to enjoy uh, enjoy looking at, reading, watching uh, when I was uh, when I was growing up, and uh, it was a comic called The Far Side. Anyone anyone remember the Far Side comic? So Far Side wasn't one of those strips where there's multiple blocks. It's just one uh, one square, one rectangle, one picture, and there's a caption underneath it. And there's this one. Um, I thought about showing you, but I, I thought it'd be a little bit. It seemed a little bit sacrilegious the way that uh, it's being depicted. But it's a it's a cartoon about creation where God is creating the world. He's making the world, but the way that it is depicted is that God is a chef. He's a cook. And he's making the world using all of the different ingredients that we find in our world today. And so God was making the world. The globe is inside of a frying pan. And God is in the kitchen with his chef hat on. And on the, uh, in the cabinet and on the shelves, there's different things. There's like uh, trees and plants and flowers. There's reptiles, amphibians. And there's uh, light-skinned people and dark-skinned people and medium-skinned people. And all of these things are going into the mix. And what... The creator the chef has in his hand that he's shaking into the mix is a bottle, a jar that's labeled jerks. Right? He's shaking jerks into the world, and he's thinking this will make it a little bit more interesting. As he puts those feelings, as I was reading that as a young, well, not too young, but as a middle schooler, high schooler, I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's why... Certain people are in the world to make life a little bit more interesting. Then I began to think, well, what about mosquitoes? Why did God make mosquitoes? You ever wonder that? Why, how did they, why did they survive in the flood? Why did God make mosquitoes? And then I started wondering about things like cats and, and all kinds of other weird things in this world that don't seem to serve a purpose in this life. <laughs> I just offended uh, half of you. But why did God put these things into the world? And I began to ask these questions, and I realized, aha, there's a theological reason behind them, because they teach us things. Mosquitoes survive off of the blood of another, and therefore we too need the blood of a Savior in order to live. And I thought, okay, mosquitoes are great. Okay, wonderful. We love them. We don't wish they bite us, but maybe are those jerks in the world they can bite. So what about cats? What is the purpose of cats? We still don't really know why cats were made. Uh, <laughs> You guys know, have you heard of this cat and dog theology? Cat and dog theology by, I think, Steve Shogren and other people. They said something like this. They said, a cat in a cat's mentality, okay, this is what cats say. As they think about, their, as they think about the person taking care of them, they say, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. Therefore, ha, I must be God. A dog, on the other hand, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. You must be God. So which is it in our mind? Are we more like a cat who says, God, you take care of me, you love me, you shelter me, therefore I must be God and the center of the world is me? Or are we more like cats? You say, because you get... The other way around. Whatever it is. You get it. All that, that's not the point. The whole point is there's a reason for everything that God sprinkled into the earth. And so it leads to our question this morning, why did God decide to sprinkle us into the world? Once we become followers of Jesus Christ, why is it that we're not just shoop, taken up into heaven on the heavenly spaceship, Battlestar Galactica, into heaven? Why does he leave us here on earth? What is the purpose for which we are here? What's the reason? Matthew 5, we're going to continue in this series on countercultural 
oh man, we have a different slide which is much cooler, but, uh, well not much cooler, but much more relevant to this. But we are continuing in this series called Countercultural, but for two weeks we're talking about a subset of this countercultural idea called the salt and the light. Okay, we're going to read from Ma- just one verse, Matthew 5, verse 13. Today we're going to talk about what it means that we're the salt, and then next week we're going to talk about what it means that we're the light. Okay? This is uh, God's word. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount, after the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. This is God's word. Once again, he begins saying, you are the salt of the earth. Who is he talking to here? You remember he's talking to, go back to verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor. Who's Jesus talking to here? Who is he saying is the salt of the earth? It's the very same people that he was talking about when he was saying, blessed are you. He's talking about the blessed ones. He's talking about those who live the Beatitudes. He's talking about those who are in the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. What did he mean when he said that? What did he mean when he said that? There's a lot of things that he might have meant, but um, I think there's three things at least that uh, we can be pretty clear that he meant when he said, you're the salt of the earth. First thing. First thing that he meant when he said that is it's important because salt is valuable and vital to life. Okay? Salt is valuable and vital to life. You ever, there's a lot of expressions um, revolving salt. Have you heard this one? He's not worth his salt. Have you ever heard that before? Anyone heard that before? Okay. Some no's and some yeses and some yeses and some no's. Okay. Uh, well, it is a saying. If you Google it, it'll come up and there'll be lots of hits and you can understand what it means. There was a time when uh, in Greece and Rome in the ancient world, slaves were bought and sold, much like today, sadly. But slaves were bought and sold. And the currency with which they were bought and sold was salt. Therefore, if you get a bad slave, a slave who is, what is it, churlish, right, and insubordinate, you get a slave like that, you might think, oh, you know what? I gave all that salt for this slave. You would say that person is not worth their salt. Because people were measured in terms of salt. Salt was currency at that time. In fact, uh, Roman soldiers, when they would get paid, they would often get paid in bars of salt. And that would be their money. Salt money in Latin is where we now get the word for salary. Right? Salt money. And money was currency back in those days. And in the ancient world, people exchanged it and they used it to barter and to buy and to sell all kinds of different things. You fast forward into the more modern times and you see cultures like Ethiopia. Ethiopia, up until the 20th century, used to, I mean, salt was their currency too. That's what they used. They didn't have dollars. They didn't have coins. They didn't have paper money. They had salt and that's what they exchanged because salt was valuable. Why why was salt? Why salt? Because salt was used for so many different, it was like the modern day equivalent to duct tape or WD-40. Salt could be used for anything. I, I, I uh, googled uh, facts about salt or uses of salt and I came out, there, there was this one website that said 14,000 uses for salt. Isn't that crazy? Did you know 
there's a lot of different uses for salt. They, um, if you spread salt around a certain perimeter, it keeps ants away. Right? For those of you who have ants in your pants, make you do the boogie. You don't want ants, then you put salt around the perimeter of your house, and ants will go away. Uh, salt is also very good for treating mosquito bites. If you get bit by those mosquitoes, and then, yep, you learned your lesson. I need to feed on Jesus. Then you put salt on it. It helps that wound. It's supposed to help with, uh, with bee stings also. Um, it also gets uh, sweat stains out of your clothing. You know, some of y'all, uh, when you lift your arms up in the air, like you don't care, you should care because you got salt stains or you got sweat stains. Uh, salt's supposed to help get that stuff out. I haven't tried it, but I've I've heard that this is true. Uh, many, 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 many. Uh, if you if you have a broom or a toothbrush and you want to make it last longer, they say you rub the bristles in it before the first time that you use it, and it makes that gent last longer. Fourteen thousand different uses for salt. So what did Jesus have in mind? Did you know that salt could also kill slugs? By the way, this is cool. So why, why did Jesus, being the great teacher, can you imagine him? He picks up a slug. Right? He, he used object lessons all the time, right? Oh, it's easier for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. So he's all about using pictures. So imagine he picks up a slug and he's like, guys, guys, check this out. Takes some salt and he pours it on it. It burns up, and then he looks at them with just oh, emotion as a teacher. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That would be crazy. That's not what Jesus had in mind. What did he have in mind? Usually when we think of salt today, we think of, oh, you know what? My food tastes bland, therefore I need to put a little salt on it, right? Which would make sense. Jesus could very easily say, you know what? This world is bland. It's boring. It needs a little seasoning, needs a little flavor, needs a little zest. Therefore, you guys go in there and you, you bring life to the party. In fact, that would, be, that would kind of be in line with what Jesus said in John 2, right? The first miracle is calling card miracle to a world that's lost his joy. I'm going to make wine, and I'm going to make wine overflowing so that you can bring joy into the world. That would kind of make sense. But Jesus could have also said, if he meant that this world is bland and needs a little spicing up, he could have said, you're the pepper of this world, or you're the sugar of this world. You may- you're the one that takes a bland world and makes it sweet. Go in and, and be sweet people. He could have said that. Maybe that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said you're the salt of the earth. What did he mean? In those days, we don't understand this as well today, but we have a certain understanding. In those days before GE, LG, Frigidaire, and all those things, they didn't have places to keep meat in order for it to not go bad. So what did they do? They would take salt and they would rub it on it. In order to preserve it, you know, like there's certain um, there's certain foods that you buy that say it's been cured in salt or it's been preserved with salt. Is there anything like that that you eat, like sardines or something? I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there's something that where it's preserved by salt. That's what Jesus had in mind. To a world that is decaying, you who are the blessed ones are the ones who go in and arrest the decay and the rotting and the corruption and prevent the world from going to waste. That's why God sprinkled you and I who live out the Beatitudes into the world. You are the salt of the earth. To a world that is in need, I know exactly what you are doing. It's interesting because when he says you are the salt of the earth, they they could have translated more forcefully because what Jesus literally is saying 
first of all, it's the plural. He's saying, y'all are the salt of the earth. But Jesus wasn't a southerner. He was a Jewish carpenter. And so he said, you, basically he meant you guys, you who are part of the kingdom, you all as a corporate body are the salt of the earth. But also what he's saying in a literal sense is not just you, 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 y'all are the salt of the earth. But he's saying you emphatically and you only are the salt of the earth. There's no other people on earth who can preserve the world from rotting and decaying besides my people. You, follower of Jesus Christ, who have this life in you, who have the Spirit of God and who've been transformed by the grace of God, you and you only are the salt of the earth. And you are the answer to what they're looking for. He says, how can... If, a, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's a lot of salt in that verse, in that sentence. But he's saying the very essence of salt is that it's salty. That's, that's salt. I mean, you would think, well, hey, try some of this salt. This is really good. Why? What does it taste like? It's salty. That's salt. It's very, the very essence is that it's salty. And the very power of the salt and the effectiveness of the salt is that it is different from the very thing that it is going on, from the medium on which it is being applied. I see you've got a bland piece of fish or a bland steak, and you put salt on it. The reason the salt is effective is because it's different from that non-salty piece of meat that you're eating. The reason it's effective in preserving is because of the very things that make it different. And if we are not different from the world in which we're going, he's saying the salt has lost its saltiness. How can it be good for anything except to be trampled on by people? Jesus is not saying, hey, he's not giving a command to say, hey, 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 why don't y'all be a little bit more salty? Why don't you try to salt yourselves up a little bit? He's not saying that. He's saying, this is who you are. If you are mine, you are salt already. Just be who you are. That's what he said. Just be who you are. We try so much in a world that persecutes us to be not different. He's saying, no, 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 no. If you're my followers, you will be different. You will be countercultural. Be all right with that because that's the very reason why you will preserve a world that is dying. Because you are different, because you are salty, you get into that world and you be what the world needs you to be. Just be who you are. He's not saying you will be the salt if you do these things. Some of us, I think we get so caught up in where I'm going to be. Like, I'll be salty once I get to that new job. I'll be salty once I get to high school. I'll be salty once I go to the mission field. I'll be salty once I get to Ecuador. But I'm going to live however I want to live right now. That doesn't work. He's saying, no, 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 no. If that's you, you're denying and betraying the very essence of who you are. He's saying, you are. Not you will be. Not you one day can be. You shall be. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. Where you are right now, you've been placed and sprinkled into that place because you are the salt. And you're called to be different. A few weeks back, actually a few months, a couple months back, Andy Stanley, pastor of the church in Atlanta, gave a talk on the West Coast um, called, at a conference called Catalyst. And he's just talking about, basically this is what he said. He said, you know what? We Christians spend a whole lot of time talking about change, about this, about we're against that, we're against that. He said, you know what? What would happen if um, we just began to live differently? Just think about this. What, what, would, what would it look like if as Christians we began to live differently? 
Like for one year, if everyone who called themselves Christian stopped looking at pornography, like stopped cheating on their spouse, stopped smoking weed, like stopped gossiping, like stopped being, uh, being selfish with our money. You just list all of these things. What if for one year, one year, just one year, for one year, we who call ourselves Christians, who bear the name of Jesus, who by very essence of calling ourselves Christians are saying we're different from the world. What if we who say that we are Christians, for one year, just started living differently? Started living out who we are. What if we did that? That within a year, the difference would be noticeable, marked difference. Everything that we're fighting against, that those things would become true. That the things that we, we spend all of our time debating, talking about, saying the world that we want, we'll be a, that much closer to that kind of a world. What's that mean for you? Salt and light. Salt of the earth. What does that mean for you? As you and I say that we're different from the world, what does that mean? You know, at a certain sense, maybe... I think this is what, maybe if, if we're really, like, I know not all of us in here would consider ourselves to be Christians. That's great. We're a community of disciples as well as those who are seeking Christ. There's a ton of grace here. But maybe if we're not committed to walking the way of Jesus, and maybe it will be better for the sake of our own lack of cognitive dissonance, and for our own desire to, to just really uphold the things of Christ, maybe it would be better for us if we're not really committed to living out this life. If we didn't say we're Christian, maybe that would be better. Maybe that would be easier. Maybe that would make the salt a little bit saltier. And it would be able to help us to distinguish a little bit better between the salt and the earth. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Because the very essence of what makes our lives effective is that we're different from the world. Because salt is valuable and it is vital to life. That's the first thing. The second thing, second thing that we see is that the earth desperately needs salt. The earth desperately needs salt. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's not just giving a statement about our identity. He's also, by, he's also uh, by association, giving a statement about the world that we live in. He's saying, listen, if you're the salt of the earth, then what is the earth? The earth is a rotting piece of meat that's sitting out in the floor of the sun. That's what the earth is. That's what the earth is. We can see this all around. This is all around. In a few days, our Supreme Court is going to make a monumental decision that is going to potentially change the future of our world. Now, you know this, right? Nine justices, four of them fighting for marriage equality, three of them fighting for the traditional view of marriage, and two judges who are up in the air. What these two judges decide are going to determine whether all 50 states in the world will legalize same-sex marriage. This is massive. Massive. has ramifications for the the future of the world, all eyes on America, comes down to two people and their decision. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to be the salt of this decaying country? What does that mean? Listen, if someone says, this world is decaying, right, Jesus says, I know exactly what this world needs. 
What does it need? He looks at you and me and he says, you are the salt of the earth. If the world needs you, what, would our resp- what should our response be? You know, this is simple. You can go, uh, go out to eat after we end here. Maybe uh, you eat your kimbap and then you go you're eating steak or fish or french fries somewhere. And you're like, you know what? These french fries, they don't really taste very good. I need the salt. Can you pass me the salt? And they say to you, can you pass the salt? And the salt is right in front of you. If someone says, I need the salt, what do you do? You don't pass the pepper. You don't give them Tabasco sauce. You don't hide the salt in your pocket. You don't throw the salt away. You give them the salt. Duh, that's what people do. Why? Because he needs salt. We see a world that is in need of salt. We see a world that is dying and, and, and decaying and rotting before our very eyes. And you've seen this in your lifetime. You don't have to be 30 years old. You could be 12 years old to see the progression that has happened in our lifetime. The corruption, the moral, spiritual degradation of our nation and of our world. If you see that, and Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, what does that call us to do? But a lot of times we're like clinging to the edge of the salt shaker, not wanting to come out for whatever reason. To a world that's desperately in need, Jesus looks at you and me and says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's calling us to go. Sometimes it's costly. But when the salt goes, God uses the salt to preserve a world that is in need. We go to the Dominican Republic. Some 20 years ago, a missionary and his wife, they were actually trying to go to Argentina. But the denomination and the missions board said there's too many missionaries in Argentina. Why don't you go to the Dominican Republic? They said everything about our life direction was set in Argentina. It was all about going here. They said just go to the Dominican Republic. And all of their hopes and all of their dreams changed. But they went because that tiny island of a nation was desperately in need of some salt to go. And they went into this just underprivileged, rural, poor area. It was run over and infested by Satan worshippers. You go and you ask them to tell the story. Those 17 of y'all who are going, ask them to tell the story of how that ministry began. And when they started the church, these Satan worshippers would circle around their premises. They would pray against it. They would hurl insults. They would protest against it. But at the end of the day, the salt of the earth spread. And it took over that area and pushed those people out work of God is being done in that place. Imagine if they hadn't come out of the salt shaker and went to that place. We go to Ecuador in a few weeks. Last year, I don't know if you remember this, but some of our people came up here and shared that we went to a new village in the Amazon area called Dashino. Dashino had uh, deeper and deeper. We go every year, we go deeper and deeper into the jungles, into unreached areas, untapped areas. And when when these people saw us, they were very resistant, very suspicious to us. They looked at us with uh, disdain, with very much uh, suspicious attitudes. And so finally, as we had some people talk to them, and just very smooth-talking people paved the way, they said, we'll let you come, we'll let you give stuff out, we'll let you play with kids, but no teaching, no preaching, none of that stuff. We don't want outside values to penetrate our village. 
films we played with children as we did things, played soccer and all that stuff. We came and we left, and people came back disheartened, disillusioned, depressed even, and they shared some of that in their testimonies and life. I saw a video a couple days ago on the Facebook page of the missionary that we've put in that area, Gonzalez. And he posted up a video about 80 to 100 kids singing songs, clapping, doing motions, talking about how great and big is the love of God Almighty. And I asked him, where is this? And he said, this is Dashima. How did that happen? How did that happen? There's a, every story has a starting point, and I'm going to jump in the middle of it. But this guy, Gonzalo, poor, poor area. First one in his village, to, in his area, to graduate Finished the top of his class, went to high school, went to college, and kicked butt in college. Made it to the top, was dating a girl, already get married. They said, you know what, let's get out of this village. Let's go and let's serve the glory of God. And so both of them, because they finished so well in school, had been offered lucrative jobs in the capital city, Quito. That's where everybody wants to go. High-paying jobs. And so they were excited. Everyone was counseling them, you got to go, take it. This is your ticket out. This is her ticket out. This is our ticket out of the poor life. This is it. Life will be set. Let's go to the big city. But we're called to live counterculturally all the time. So he prayed about it. And he said, to his, he said to his girlfriend, he said, you know what? I think God is calling me to go to the Amazon area. Nobody goes. She said, you know, that area, that's worse than where we came from. That's worse than home. I want to go there. So she said, I don't think I'm ready to take that step. And so laying down his finances, laying down his dreams, laying down everything, his girlfriend, his future wife, she said, I'm going to follow God and be the salt of the earth in a place. He's been there, and for the first month there, he's the most humble guy. For the first month there, while we're getting things set up to be able to give him some stipend to live on, he didn't have any money. He didn't tell anybody. He was basically eating scraps. He was just waiting for people to invite them into his house, into their house, so that he could eat. But he's there, and he's building the kingdom of God. And there, when we get down there, there's about at least 30-some people that are waiting to be baptized because he decided, I'll get out of my salt station. Go and be the salt of the earth because that's what God called me to do. You and I are the salt of the earth. It's not a matter of are we, it's a matter of will we be who we were called to be. Because you see, the world is desperately in need of what you and I have to stop, to prevent the decay and the corruption of the world. What would it look like? What would it look like if Gonzalo had not gone to that area? What would it look like if William Wilberforce in the 1800s hadn't spoke year after year to Parliament in Great Britain, speaking against the greatest, most lucrative industry in that nation, the African slave trade? What if he had not had a conviction in his heart to be the salt of the earth? What if he had not said, I dream of a day when human beings are not treated and sold like cattle, 
What if in 1843 they had not passed the act of emancipation that set these captives free? What would have happened if he decided, I'm not going to be the salt of the earth? Same thing if Martin Luther King Jr. So many people who were not motivated simply get this by humanitarian reasons. It wasn't just, oh, the the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, and oh, these are people, and we're all people. We need to be nice to them. It wasn't that. They were deeply impacted and profoundly motivated by the teachings of the prophets and of the teachings of the Word of God. And because of that, they said, God has called me to be the salt. I'm going to spread my salt into a world that is decaying so that I might arrest and spread and do infectious things throughout the world. What does that mean for you? As you look at the earth here, as you look at the world in which we live, and as you understand that the world desperately needs salt, what does that mean? Is your workplace desperate for salt? Is your school, is your summer camp, is your family, is your home, is the relationships that you're engaged in desperately in need of salt? Because I tell you, if what Jesus says is true, they are, and it is. The second thing, last thing. Last thing that we see then, last thing that we see. Many reasons why Jesus called us salt, but the last thing um, amongst many, that a little salt can go a long way. Aha, there it is. A little salt can go a long way. You've got a pound of meat. How much... Salt, does it take to preserve that? A pound of salt? No. It takes a little bit of salt spread around in the right places. A little bit of salt. That's all it takes. A lot of times we feel like, hey, I don't have what it takes. I'm too insignificant. I'm too weak. I'm not strong enough. I don't have gifts enough. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You already are the salt of the earth right now. And he has always, it's always been his will. Just a little bit can go a long way. That's always how God's way. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he says, you know what? It, it starts out with a little bit of yeast, but soon that yeast works its way through the dough until the whole thing has been touched by the kingdom. It starts out a little bit of yeast. because it's, it's, a, it's a mustard seed. Smallest of seeds, but when it grows, it becomes a tree that provides shelter to all these animals. Jesus has always been about using the, the little thing, just a little bit, a little bit. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Right? Who does he use as examples? Not the great big army of 10,000s and thousands of people that Gideon had, but whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle Just a tiny group of 500 people who aren't afraid. Why? So that God would be honored and not the thing, the medium, a little bit of salt, that's all it takes. Who does Jesus use as an example of Christ-like generosity? Not the people who gave a lot, but the lady who gave less than a penny. How does that even make any sense? If you walked out of here, and then maybe like a few rooms down on the left, there's like this pre-K room, a room for, for preschool kids, and uh, we were hanging out in there, a bunch of us were hanging out yesterday, and um, there's a picture on their, their little flannel board of that very scene where uh, Jesus' disciples are watching this lady, and she's got the, the, the offering jar there in the temple, 
and they pinned her arm so that her arm moves back and forth so that you can mimic the action of her putting in the money, putting in the money. And Manny said, Daddy, that's the lesson we learned that last week. And she was like so excited about it. And so we were doing all these cool things. We're making her do like these super dunks and reverse dunk and all this stuff. And so I was trying to, I was holding Elise, right? And I was trying to teach her, hey, Elise, you look at this little lady. She doesn't have much. And she's giving her offering. And then Elise was trying to grab it. And I said, no, no, no. Finally, grab a hold of it. And she ripped this lady's arm off. <laughs> if you walk down the hall to the left, about four rooms down, you will see a husbandless, penniless, harmless woman, whom Jesus used as an example of generosity. Why? You see, the world tries to tell us, like Elise, no, 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 we don't like people like her. God can't use people like her. And they try to rip her arm off because they don't like the fact that God is a countercultural God doesn't do things the way that we expect. We expect God's going to use, oh, if Justin Bieber became a, a Christian and began singing Christian songs, the world would come to know him. Oh, my gosh, if God can just, oh, who else is this, like, famous person? I don't know. Justin Timberlake, right? Or all these Justins. Justin Cho. Uh, uh, but if God can use these people, the way of God has always been small, seemingly insignificant spread it out into the earth and God does some great things through it. In fact, what does it take? Remember in Genesis, if you're at morning prayer, uh, Seho alluded to this yesterday. But when Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed in judgment by God, and Abraham goes and he stands in the gap, he's the mediator, he's the lawyer, and he's trying to uh, to argue the case. And he says, what if there are Oh, 50 righteous people. There are 50 righteous people. Would you, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, nah. Not 45. Gets all the way down. Bargains all the way down to 10 people. And then Abraham stops and he walks away. What do, we, what do we see there? I'll tell you what we see. At least one thing that we see is that 10 people, 10 people can stop the destruction of these major cities. Ten people. Right? You don't believe it? Let's, let's talk. Okay, let's come outside the Bible here then. Right? Just get a little sociology. Princeton professor, sociology professor named uh, Robert something or other, did this study, and he said, you know, you know what percentage of a population it takes to change a culture? What percentage it takes to change a culture? He said it takes just 2%. 2% of a culture, right? 2% can change an entire group. Jesus is saying it doesn't take a lot. It takes someone willing to say, you know what? I see the need. I'm going to come out. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be marvelous. You don't have to have these wonderful gifts. In fact, you remember the, uh, the Saturday Night Live skit, the movie called The Blues Brothers back in the day, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd? That these guys, it's, 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 it's pretty funny. The whole premise is about these two ex-cons who are on parole and uh, they're trying to rescue an orphanage, the orphanage from which they were rescued out of or uh, they were adopted out of. 
And so they play music and they're trying to raise $5,000. And whenever anyone asks them, what do you do for a living? They always say, we're on a mission from God. And if you see these bumbling characters, that's the running joke in it. Like these guys, like these foolish, silly, messed up ex-cons on a mission from God. Jesus says, that's your story and mine too. That the world might look at you and they might think, that's funny. Her? <laughs> Him? A mission from God? And Jesus saying, yeah, me. you are the salt of the earth. And as you begin to work yourself into it, the beauty of the salt is that in time, the salt melds itself into the larger piece so well that at the end of the day, nobody says, my goodness, that salt was so... What kind of salt did you guys use for this? Did, was it Morton's salt? I mean, the, the one with the girl with the, rain, uh, with the umbrella and it's raining? Oh my gosh, that, that's what we use and it never tastes... No one talks about the salt. Because the salt really doesn't matter so long as people see God in it. But you know what? We can do better than the cheaper salt. You know why? Because when we offer ourselves to God, when we put our, ourselves in the hands of God's salt shaker and he shakes us out into the earth, there is what John Ortberg calls a God-multiplying factor. That God takes everything that we have and he multiplies that out to do so much more than we know. Not just what one grain of salt can do, but he multiplies point where he says, you know what, listen, listen, not just 2%, but I'll do it with one. I'll do it with one person. One person. One person I will send my only son. And I will multiply the things that he does. And I will use one cross. And I will use three nails. And I will produce forgiveness for the world. I can do so much more than you ever know. You ever dreamed. Jesus came into the world, and when God asked his son to come into the world, Jesus didn't cling to the outside, to the inside of the salt shaker of heaven, but he came because he saw a world that was in need. He said, I'll go. I'll go because they need me. And Jesus says, in the same way that I came, because I came, so you go. Be the salt of the earth. The world that is in need, Jesus says, I have the earth. The world that is decaying and rotting, corrupting, says, I know exactly what you need. And he tilts that salt shaker and he shakes us out and says to you and me, you are the salt of the earth. We think about, uh, as we think about our identity in Christ, this is who you are, child of God. This is who you are, people of God. This is who you are, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the risen Savior, of the living God. You are the salt of the earth. You are what the world desperately needs. Not you only, but you as you show the world the beauty of Christ. 
And when you stand up and you say, you know what, God, I will give myself to you. He will multiply what you have. And what previously could only feed a little boy fed a multitude. Because this is what God does. A little with God goes a long way, a lot further than what a lot can do in your own hands. Let's pray to the Lord God and say, God, here I am. Maybe some of you have to make some hard choices about what God's calling you to do, who He's calling you to be, and how He's calling you to live. But Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, of the earth, of the nations. I'm saying, would you? Would you come out of the salt shaker into the earth? Let's pray for a couple moments as we think about what that means for our lives, as we think about what God might be speaking to us, what He might be calling us to do and to be. Let's pray for a minute or so, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll continue our worship. Let's pray together. For most of us, maybe God's application for this message is not that we might go to a foreign land. But I promise you that what God is calling you to do is going to be countercultural. To stand for truth in an office filled with lies, to stand up for the broken in a world that oppresses the weak, to speak out against that which is contrary to the Word of God. To stand for truth and the biblical definition of marriage, to stand for what is right and and noble and true in the eyes of God. What God calls you and me to do may not be this epic movement, uh, but it will very most definitely be countercultural. Where you work and where you live and in your neighborhood and in your world, in your community, in your school when you go back, calling us all to be who we are, which is different. No longer okay to hide amongst the majority. God calls us to stand out as the minority. Missional minority in this world. Father, we pray that you would take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take all that we are, all that we do. Make us into people who are countercultural. Make us into people who are different. Make us into people who are salty, because that's who we are. As we spread ourselves out amongst the earth, would You use our lives powerfully in order to preserve, to stem the tide of corruption in the world that You've allowed us to live in. Thank You, Lord. We need you and we love you because you've loved us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.